In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that all through him might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who, himself, who is himself God, and is in his closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Amen. This is the word of God. So I hope you have your Bible, a, a device, and you can follow through these verses with me together. John chapter 1. We've called this series, Why Jesus? And the cool artwork there is uh, from Amy uh, Lippert-Martin, who uh, has some real gift in this area. So she put this graphic together for our series, Why Jesus? There's three, three angles that we want to ask this question, why Jesus, from. First is, as we read the Gospel of John, we're going to read things that kind of shock us. Jesus is going to do things. He's going to say things that are pretty shocking. And so as we find those things, we want to ask him the question, why? Why, Jesus, did you do that? Why did you say that? We also want to ask the question, why Jesus, from the perspective, perhaps, of someone who's yet to trust in him or yet to follow him. And this is exactly actually what John is doing in his gospel. In chapter 20, he tells us why he wrote his gospel of John. He says that we might believe and that by believing in Christ, we might have life through his name. So his intention for this gospel is that people who've yet to come to faith in Jesus, to follow Jesus, to have that conversion to Jesus that I talked about last Sunday, that's his purpose. So we want to answer that question for you. If you've never trusted in Christ, why you should trust in Jesus? And then for those of us who are his followers and his disciples, we want to answer this question for ourselves. And we're going to see that uh, all through John's gospel where the Lord's own disciples are being convinced of his identity, convinced that he is worthy of their whole lives. And that's the thing that we're trying to convince each other of as we seek to be all for Christ. Why would I give everything for Christ? Why would I lay down my life for Jesus Christ? So we're going to ask that question in the Gospel of John, and John's going to answer. He's going to show us, and even this morning, we're going to see why Jesus is worthy of everything 
that we can offer to him. I want you to understand something this morning. The first thing that I wanted to do as we look at John chapter 1 is to draw your attention back to Genesis chapter 1. So if you were listening this morning, you realize that someone already did that. Matt came up here, and the very first thing he did is he read from Genesis chapter 1. Now, where's Matt? Where are you, Matt? Did we coordinate that beforehand? Did you know that I wanted you to do that or that? See, here's the thing, uh, ladies and gentlemen, there's a fair bit of coordination that goes into Sunday mornings, but what's really cool is when you realize the Holy Spirit has been coordinating even outside of our planning. And that's exactly what happened this morning. And it, it increases my faith that God is here among us, that God has something to say. And that's why I keep saying, don't be late. You might, you might have showed up late here and you didn't even hear Matt read that. You realize stuff's going on here because God is in the place. Don't miss it. Don't be late. Be here on time. Okay, are you ready to hear me stop saying that now? <laughs> so John chapter 1, how does John begin? Look at the text there. His very first words are, in the beginning. And there's no coincidence. And those of you who don't know the Bible maybe didn't clue in that these are the very same words that we find at the very beginning of the Bible that Matt read early in our service today. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The very first place the Bible starts is in the beginning. So when John takes the very same phrase that he's going to assume his audience knew He's going to assume they knew Genesis chapter 1, and so when he starts with the very same words, he's meaning for us to think back, and everything that he's about to say to us now, he wants wants us to hear in light of what we know from Genesis chapter 1, which we've already heard this morning. But just in case, let me just show you the first four verses that I had planned to show you even before Matt read the first two. Genesis 1, first four verses of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Actually, what I could have done here is I could have underlined a number of words that are here in the first four verses of Genesis 1 that we're going to find in the first verses of John chapter 1. So we have that beginning phrase, in the beginning. We got this idea, this terminology of creating, who who made the heavens and the earth. And then we're going to read in John chapter 1 about light and darkness. There's no doubt that John wanted us to be thinking about Genesis 1 when he wrote John 1. So I'm going to call this first section the beginning 1.0. And what I want us to see is in John's first few verses, what he's trying to do, he's trying to take us back to the very first creation, the very original beginning. That's why I've called it 1.0. But what he's doing is he's pulling back the curtain. Stuff that we couldn't see in Genesis chapter one. Stuff that we couldn't know. They didn't tell us in Genesis chapter one. Now John is gonna tell us, he's gonna pull back the curtain so that we can actually see more of what was going on behind the scenes. So in Genesis chapter one, verse one, we have in the beginning, God. But John here is going to pull back the curtain and show us another person. And he's called here, excuse me, the word. Notice, 
God is still there in John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So God was there. Hasn't changed the story. John's not changing the story here. But in Genesis, it was in the beginning God. In John's gospel, he says, in the beginning was the Word. What else do we see behind the scenes? In Genesis chapter 1, we have this God immediately speaking. In fact, God's creation came about through his words. Have you ever thought about that? How fascinating that is. Why did God create? Not simply with a thought, not simply with a choice, but he chose to create and he communicated his creation to us by words. God said, let there be light. Isn't that interesting? So in Genesis chapter 1, we have a God who speaks who says and created by words. And then in John chapter 1, we have a God who is the Word. Isn't that interesting? The curtain is pulled back. We see that there is God there, but we see this other figure who is called the Word. This, we're going to see, is a reference to Jesus, and you just have to read through the rest of the chapter. It becomes very clear who John is talking about. The word here is a very simple word, logos, very common word. And the fact that it's a common word needs to bring us caution because John is not intending for us to think of Jesus as common when he attributes to him this title, word, logos. What he's wanting us to understand, among other things, and we could go into a lot of depth and technical stuff about this, but essentially what we need to understand is that Jesus, just as a word, expresses meaning, and when I talk, you actually get to hear what's going on inside of my brain. Isn't that, you're so fortunate. I look at you, and I have no idea what's going on inside your brain. I I hope you're listening, but when I speak, you know exactly what's going on inside me. At least I hope when I preach, it's coming out of my brain and not just, uh, you know. I hope it's coming out of my, I hope it's coming out of my heart. That's what words do. They communicate a concept, a thought, Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is going to be the one who communicates to us. So you go back to Genesis 1 and you read, in the beginning, God. Well, there's all kinds of mystery that the rest of the Bible is going to unfold about who this God is. What John is saying, actually, there is another person there, and we're going to hear him say he actually is God, and he's actually the word of God. He's going to communicate God to us in a way that we can understand. The concept, the mystery of who God is becomes clear as Jesus is the Logos, the Word to us. So in the beginning of creation, God spoke everything into existence. John pulls back the curtain and says, actually, there was another person there. He actually is called the Word. John pulls back the curtain In chapter 1, verse 26 of Genesis, we find this strange expression because so far up to that point, we've seen God as singular, a singular creator. But for some reason, when he's about to create humanity in verse 26, and feel free to look at this if you want to as I mention what is there. Genesis 1, 26, God somehow is having a discussion with himself. This singular God... It wasn't in the beginning gods created. It was in the beginning God, singular created. 
Of course, these scriptures written to Jewish people who firmly believed that there was only one God. And yet in their own scriptures, we have God talking to himself. In verse 26, when he's about to create humanity, we don't see this before. We don't see it when he made light. We don't see it when he made land. We don't see it when he made plants, when he made fish. But when he's about to make humanity, we're brought into a mysterious conversation. Does God talk to himself? I used to ask my dad when I was a kid, Dad, why are you talking to yourself? Who are you talking to? He's like, well, you know, sometimes when you get concentrating and you're working, you just do that. Now I get older, I realize I do that sometimes. There was a, con- God talks to himself? Yeah, actually because of something we now call the Trinity. That God as one exists as one entity and yet as three John pulls back the curtain now and we get to see a glimpse of this because now we're reading about this other person, this word figure, this logos figure. And notice here the language in chapter one of John. He says the word was with God. That suggests to us that there's two distinct persons here. But then he goes on to say that the word was God. This is biblical theology about who God is. God is more than one, and God is only one. And so somehow this Godhead, this one God, exists in multiple persons, and I can't begin to explain how that can possibly be true, but John's pulling back the curtain and showing us that it is, that in the very beginning, it wasn't just God as one person, it was God as somehow multiple people so united that they could rightly be called one. And one of those persons John is describing to us is the word who we're going to find out is Jesus. What else do we find? Genesis 1, of course, we know, see so clearly in the beginning God created. John pulls back the curtain for us and he says, actually, you need to understand when it says that God created, actually more specifically It was one of those persons specifically, it was actually this Logos, this Word, who made all things. Brothers and sisters, this is where our minds need to be blown, should be steam rising, wheels turning. How could it possibly be that the man, Jesus, that we've worshipped this morning, that our faith is built on, that 2,000 years ago, a man, A human being, Jesus Christ, came into the world and began a movement that continues with us today is also the God who spoke all things into existence by his own person. This truth is reiterated in Colossians chapter 1. Again, not just John, but Paul, the Apostle Paul telling us that Jesus himself is the maker, the creator. How can it be that this man we worship, the man who came to our earth and suffered, the man who went to the cross, bled human blood, died, took a final breath, is the creator of all things. John pulling back the curtain. In Genesis chapter 1, we read about everything that has the breath of life. You can read in multiple verses in Genesis chapter 1 about the oceans teeming, teeming with living things. Multiple times you'll find that word living. 
God as the author of life in creation. In Genesis chapter one, John pulls back the curtain and says, actually, to be more specific, it was the word. In the word was life. Do you see that? Verse three, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Verse four, in him was life. He is the author of life. He is the originator of life. That's who Jesus is. Then, of course, we find in Genesis chapter one, the beginning of light. It's really interesting to think about what we read there in those first verses of the Bible. Somehow there was already a world, it would seem. The earth was void and empty, and there was darkness. I don't understand what that actually means. It seems like there was already a world when Genesis chapter one begins to describe creation for us, but it was a world of darkness. And the very first thing that God creates is light. And what's really interesting is if you think carefully about the order of creation, and some of you know this, some of you may not, but follow through the days of creation. First day of creation, light. Did you know it's not till the fourth day of creation that we actually get the sun, the moon, and the stars? And why is that? Why is the order in that in that way? Why, why is the Bible so careful to show us that God created light, God created day, before he created the very things that we know as the source of light, the physical sources of light? And scripture is actually going to unfold for us. John is one of the places where it does so. That God himself is radiant. That God himself is light. In fact, the Bible is going to teach us that the essence of what darkness is, the meaning of darkness in the Bible, is the absence of the presence of God. That's why the world today is known as a world of darkness. That's why some of us could describe our lives, maybe in the past, maybe even today, as lives of darkness. I feel like I'm in the dark. And what we're going to learn today and all through Scripture is that True light is God's light. God himself is radiant. He is the source of light. Light is something good. Light is something that's beautiful. Light is something that's life-giving. In fact, we know that in our own world, right? The only reason we have uh, life in the world is because we have a sun that creates photosynthesis and causes plants to grow, which creates oxygen, which we need to breathe, and all the food that we eat comes because of the sun, photosynthesis. So in the beginning we find there was light. Even in Genesis 1 we have to assume that God himself was the source of that light because he didn't create the sun, the moon and the stars until day four. And John pulls back the curtain for us and says actually it's the word who is the true light. You see it there? In him was life, verse four, and that life was the light of all mankind. Think about this phrase. I, for me, this is one of the most fascinating phrases in the Bible. I don't know if I've thought more or longer about a phrase in the Bible than this one. What does it mean 
that in, when it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, or the light of all men, what does that mean? Well, clearly, it means that Jesus is the source of life, the beginning of it, and he is the source of true light. Both of those things are true of Jesus. He is the life, and he is the light. But you see, what John is doing is he's making a connection between the life and the light. Remember what I said. What, what is the essence of darkness in the Bible? The essence of darkness is the absence of the presence, the living presence of God. The essence of light in the Bible is the living presence of God, revealing himself, revealing his truth. What's fascinating here as John pulls back the curtain for us is that we find true life, the logos, the essence of what God is, is a relationship. The genuine life of God is a relationship. One commentary I read as it described the word being with God emphasized this face-to-face nature of the relationship between the word and the father. A face-to-face loving relationship, that is the essence of life. And when God created life in the world, his intention was it would be life lived in his presence which worked out fine until humanity, who were the caretakers of his world, said, actually, would you please leave God? We don't want you to rule over us. We don't want to live in your world. And the world became a world of darkness. But back it up and ask yourself, well, what is true life? What is the essence of life? It is is being in the presence of God in a loving relationship. So the word is life because he always existed in this perfect loving relationship with his father. And his intention was to bring that life to humanity. Pull back the curtain. Why did God create people in his own image? It's so that people could be drawn into this true essence of what life is. And that just as the word and his father lived face to face, that now his human beings, his people, his children could be drawn into this beautiful picture of what real life is. It's life lived in the presence of God. So John pulls back the curtain. He's showing us not just who Jesus is, he's showing us what his intention was, that when God made humanity, he wanted to draw us in to this wonderful relationship that he already experienced, father and son, And we're beginning to see where God is heading and where John is heading with his writing because if you know the creation story, you know it becomes a mess real quick. And as I've already described, it becomes a mess because humanity rejected God's definition of life. Life lived in the presence of God. Life lived under the blessing, under the rule of God. They rejected that. And that's why God could say to Adam and Eve, on the day you eat of that tree, that fruit, you will surely die. And actually, they they didn't even die physically, but God, God was saying that true death is the death of real life, which isn't just physical life, it's life lived in harmony with God. And so the day that Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, they actually truly died from real life, this genuine life of living in the presence and in the love of God. Now John says the word actually is the author of life. 
He is the source of life, and this life is the light of men. Let me say it this way. Do you want to make sense of life? Do you want your life to make sense? Do you want it to be meaningful? Honestly, do you think that's going to come through being successful or being rich, being healthy, wealthy, and wise? Or is that going to come from being united in a loving relationship with your creator and your redeemer? It's the latter, isn't it? If you think otherwise, you're here hearing the truth. The good news is uh, even though life is darkness and life is death, it's void of this genuine life that it was meant to be. The good news is the word has come back into the world to give us a second chance, to offer us back this true life that God intended for us that we can have through Jesus. And that's actually where John goes next. These early verses He's actually reflecting back to the original creation. Now in the next verses of John chapter one, he's actually going to be opening the veil on a new kind of beginning. And I'm gonna call it here, the beginning 2.0, or simply a new beginning. John is helping us to see now that there's something new happening. He's taking us back to the very beginning. Now he's showing us that there's a new beginning. There is an opportunity for us to start over. There's an opportunity to begin again with God. And all that we lost as human beings in the original creation, now Jesus has come to offer us life again. So how do we see this play out in the next number of verses? Well, we've seen already that the word made the world. That's become very clear to us in verse 3. But then we find that the word came to the word, world, sorry. Verse verse four, in him was life. The life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. And then verse nine. The true light, which is Jesus, the word, that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. See now, now we've changed from the past tense. Now we've, we've come into something new now. Notice verse 10. He, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. The Word, the author of creation, isn't just the one who made the world. Now in these verses, John is telling us he came back, he came into the world. The creator. We see here that he made the world. And then we find John saying remarkably, unbelievably, the world that he made, and here he's referring to the world of people, did not recognize him or receive him. In a sense here, you know, what, what this is, is a replay. Because in, in the beginning 1.0, God who made everything and blessed everyone and provided all that humanity could need, that God was rejected. And now in this new beginning, 2.0, creator comes, not just as creator, not just in a spiritual way. It's not clear, it seems, from these verses that Adam and Eve ever actually even saw God, but now in the new beginning, 2.0, the creator comes again. And this time he is visible. 
And as we see Jesus, John in his gospel is going to be so clear. When you see Jesus, you're seeing God. And yet, John could say, writing this after Jesus had lived his life and gone back to heaven, the world did not recognize him or receive him. And suddenly we worry. Is this beginning 2.0? Is this new creation going the same way that the first creation did? Well, it started that way. It looked like it was going the very same way. The, cr the creator comes to the world and the world rejects him. Of course, we've seen that the word is the author of all things. Without the word, nothing was made that was made. That means that he is the one who made human beings. But here we find verse 14. Actually, verse 13. That the word now remakes human beings. Notice what he's saying here. Verse 12, he says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's what we were meant to be in the very beginning. Then notice he says, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. What is he saying? The word made human beings physically. He made human beings originally now he's come again, and in the new beginning, his intention is actually to remake human beings. And see what John is saying. Is he's not talking here about a merely physical thing, not a husband and wife saying, hey, should we have kids? Yeah, let's try having kids. And then we get pregnant and we have a child. That's not what this is talking about. It's not talking about a mere human birth that, that we might decide or we might try to play a role in. This is a birth that only God can create. The Word is the one who made human beings originally. Now he's the one who remakes human beings. Verse 13, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. This is the good news that we are so desperate for because all of us know what it is to live in darkness. And don't say, well, it's, you, know, you know why I've lived in darkness? It's because of Adam and Eve. It's because of the choice they made. They disobeyed God, and look what happened to me. Some of us don't blame Adam and Eve. We blame our parents or someone else in our life who affected us in some negative way, and actually, we all have had that experience. Some of you have had that uh, horrifically in a, in, in a very devastating kind of experience, but the reality is we all live in darkness because we've all chosen the darkness. Later on, John is gonna say that the problem with humanity is that we love darkness Rather than light, we have all chosen to live outside of the rule and blessing and life of God. And the good news is that Jesus, in spite of us, we're not worthy to be his people. We're not worthy to be his children. We could never make ourselves his children. But the word has come into the word, world to remake us to rebirth us, not with a human birth, but with a spiritual birth, John says, to be born of God. Two chapters from now, we'll find Jesus talking to a religious man named Nicodemus, and he'll say to Nicodemus, did you realize you gotta be born again? And Nicodemus will say, what is that supposed to mean? I could never re-enter my mother's womb. And Jesus, of course, that's not what he means. He's not talking about another physical birth. He's talking about a spiritual birth. So the word made human beings originally, now he's come to remake 
human beings to give us a supernatural spiritual birth. How does he do that? He does that by becoming a human being. Verse 14, the word became flesh. Remember what Adam said in Genesis chapter two when God brought his wife? Adam was pretty happy. Whoa. He says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Adam and Eve, human beings, united in marriage. John says, the word. This one who's existed from all creation. By the way, if there's any doubt that the authors of the Bible attribute to Jesus divinity, it is so clear here. When John says, in the beginning was the word, what is he saying? He's saying that the word, that Jesus is eternal. He's as eternal as God is. Some cults have said that Jesus is a created being. That's impossible because he was already in the beginning and then John tells us that everything that was created was created by the word. So it's not possible that he was a created being. He's the one who created all created beings. He was. And yet this divine word of God became flesh. Do you understand the mind-blowing, magnificent story of the Bible is the God of creation who had this wonderful purpose for us to have genuine life, lived in his presence, just as Father, Son, Holy Spirit lived face-to-face in love, God's intention that humanity would be drawn into this harmony, this unity, this love. And humanity rejects it, falls into sin, falls under the judgment of a holy God But God loved us so much that he was willing to become human like us and he chose to experience humanity at its worst. He chose to experience poverty. He didn't come into the the world at a time of smartphones. He came into the world at a time when he would suffer under Roman oppression and ultimately he would give his life in the worst form of death penalty that's ever been devised by humanity He chose to die by crucifixion in order to redeem us, to draw us back into this new beginning, this new creation. We don't find this truth in Genesis chapter one, but it's famously written later in Psalm 19 that God's creation, that original creation, the physical creation of the world and the universe that creation declares and reflects the glory of God. But John would say of the word made flesh that we have seen his glory. Still verse 14. We have seen his glory. If any of us ever glorify God, do you know how we do it? The very same way the moon glorifies the sun. If you ever look up in the sky and see the moon and think, wow, that's pretty, remind yourself that all it is is a big rock covered in dust. Nothing pretty about it at all. But when the sun reflects off the moon, we see glory. And if any of us ever glorify God, it's kind of like that. It's because God's reflecting his glory through us. But for Jesus, the glory of God was his own. 
You see how John here is attributing the divine reality of God. He had the glory of God. He is the glory of God. He is the one who became flesh. Quickly, we can go back and see how God filled the world with creatures. And then he said to his creatures, both the animals and to people, fill the earth, be fruitful and multiply. God's intention for creation was that he would fill it with living creatures of his own making. But now when we read of the word, we find that he shares his fullness with us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. He's full of grace and truth, the two wonderful qualities that seem so opposite and yet so beautifully combined in God and in Christ. Verse 16, out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace, all meaning those who are born of God. Jesus comes as God himself to share all the fullness of God with humanity. This is the wonder of the gospel. Not just that God forgives sinners and gives us a ticket so we don't have to suffer in hell forever. Do you understand that to be born of God, to be born again, to be saved, to be a believer, is to now share in all the fullness of God in relationship with Jesus Christ. John's gonna bring this out. In the great prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, he's gonna be praying about the unity of future believers and he'll say this, I in them and you in me. Jesus attributing his own fullness of God presence to us, living within us and then saying, oh by the way, and I live in my Father. Do you see the security and the wonder of being united with Christ, who's united with God. Salvation brings us into this harmony of the Godhead for all eternity. We've seen here that even in the beginning, from all eternity, the Word knew God. And now John says he's gonna make God known to humanity. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God. This makes me think that even though it, it tells us in Genesis 3 that Adam and Eve heard the sound of God walking in the garden, we're never actually told that they saw him and John's now saying no one has ever seen him. You remember the story of Moses who asked to see the glory of God and God said, no, you can't do that. I'm gonna hide you in, in, uh, in this cave and I'm gonna pass by you and you're gonna almost sense my glory but you're not actually gonna get to look at me. But now we find that in Jesus, his presence in the world, him as the foundation of, of, of Christianity has made God known. And in chapter 14, one of his disciples would famously say to him, could you just show us God? Could you just show us the Father? This is right before he goes to the cross and dies and he'll say to Philip, one of his disciples, don't, don't you understand, Philip? If you've seen me, You've seen the Father. The Word makes God known to humanity. So what is the point of all this? 
What is John trying to do here in his first chapter? What is, what is the point of going back and tying into the first creation story, pulling back the curtain and showing us that there's this new beginning? I think there's a few things that John wants us to catch about Jesus in particular. Number one, he wants us to recognize that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the man who lived 2,000 years ago, is God himself. He doesn't want us to miss this. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't want us to misunderstand that Jesus is divine. In a few moments, we're gonna celebrate communion. We're gonna celebrate and remember a man who suffered on a Roman cross. And John is saying, do not forget that this one that you remember, this one who suffered for you is the one who made you and everything that you could ever see in all of the universe, all that we haven't yet seen, because we can't find the edge of his universe. He's divine. He was in the beginning. He's the creator of all things. John wants us to get this. Jesus is divine. He's God. I think there's a second thing he wants us to realize and remember. He wants us to sense in all of this discussion, we haven't talked a lot about it this morning, but all of this discussion about light and darkness back in verse four and five, his assumption is that as human beings living in this world, we would have a real clear sense of the darkness of this world. And that should be true of us as we watch the news, as we see what's going on in our own country and around the world and Russia and Ukraine and everything else. And as we look in the mirror and looking into, look into our own souls, that we would see the darkness that lives there. Remember what I said, darkness is the absence of the living presence of God. And if we live in this world outside of a relationship with God, then we live in darkness. John's assumption being that we would sense and know and recognize the darkness, not only of this world, but of our own lives when we live apart from God himself. Maybe you're here today and you could say, actually, yeah, I know, I know all about that. Maybe some of you are actually here today. Maybe someone brought you here today. Maybe you just came here today because you heard that we're gonna talk about Jesus and you've just been sensing the, own, the darkness of your own soul. John wants you to sense that and he wants you to know that there's an answer that Jesus, the one who came into the world, came as a light. Did you see that here? That he came to light every person who comes into the world. He's the light of all mankind. And he wants you to see that. He wants you to see that light today. He wants you to know that light. He wants you to receive. Remember what John's purpose is in his gospel? That you might believe and that in believing you will find life in his name. And what is life? Life is living in the presence of God. Jesus comes, offers his own presence. Through his sacrifice on the cross, we can have our sins forgiven, we can be redeemed, and God comes and lives within us. The darkness evaporates and light has come. And then for those of us who say we believe, who know we believe, do we understand who it is that we follow? Some of us are here today and we say, yeah, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. Maybe we could say, I want to be all for Christ. But if we're honest, if we're honest, we haven't really surrendered. 
And when you begin to see Jesus the way John is describing him, how is it possible that we couldn't surrender to him? This one who's worthy of our whole lives. Why? Because he's the creator of our lives. He's the redeemer of our lives. And somehow we'd hold back, thinking I could find a better life, my own way, pursuing my own glory, my own sense of worth and value apart from Jesus. All you got to do is read these verses again. You realize John, it makes no possibility for that in the way he describes Jesus here. And if we are not all for Christ, if we're not willing to be baptized out of a sense of reverence and faith in Jesus Christ, the reality is that we have yet yet to come to truly know him. And when we begin to see Jesus for who he really is, it's not something you gotta muster up in your heart. I gotta try harder, I gotta do better. No, what you really need is to see Jesus in all of his glory. Because when we see him for who he truly is, John knows this, you're gonna surrender your life. You're gonna believe him with your whole life. You're gonna follow him. So we come to communion in closing. And I believe the ushers, if you don't have the emblems and you'd like them, uh, just put your hand up and the ushers are going to uh, make sure you, you get those. The emblems, of course, are so human. They remind us of the body and the blood of Jesus. And yet in light of what we've seen today, we have to see past the humanity of Jesus and recognize him for who he really is. Be amazed that the Son of God would come and take on human flesh, willing to suffer the cruelest of all deaths, in order to atone for our sins, to take the penalty and the wrath for our sins. His purpose in this, of course, is not merely physical, but that we would be drawn back into that true life, that true light that God intended for humanity from the very beginning, that we could have a true, genuine relationship with God that's as real as the relationship between the Father and the Son. And through this, through the death of Jesus Christ, that's what we can have. Now, if you've never trusted in Christ, we're actually gonna ask you to refrain. If you've never trusted in Christ and you know you've never trusted in Christ, this is actually symbolic of the fact that you've received Jesus. So don't take it if you actually haven't received Jesus. Please don't do that. But you need to understand that the invitation is there. So if that's you today, if you never trusted in Christ, look at it, hold it in your hand, recognize that God is inviting you to this very life. Jesus would later say in the Gospel of John, you gotta eat my flesh and drink my blood, which was a shocking way of him saying, by faith, take me in. By faith, make me your own, receive me. And you can do that today. You can receive Jesus Christ even as you take communion if you're doing it by faith and if you're receiving him. Let me give thanks and then I just want you to be free to take the emblems as you meditate. We're gonna sing a final song. But let's give thanks to God. Thank you, God, for the wonder of who you are. Thank you for what John has shown us today. Thank you for reminding us about the reality of creation, that you had a good intention 
to literally dwell in the presence of your people, to allow them to live in true life, true light under your blessing and rule in your very presence. Lord, forgive us as humanity for rejecting that and for rejecting you. Lord, what, what a wonderful story that you came to bring a new beginning, a new opportunity. You came and did creation 2.0. Jesus came, took on human flesh, suffered on the cross so that we could be saved. Oh, Lord, is there anyone here today who's yet to trust in you? Help them to see even in the receiving of the bread and the juice, it's just symbolic of what happens when we put our faith in you and we invite you in. Oh Lord, would that be true today for someone? Lord, there's some here today who've been saying for years, maybe for decades, oh, I follow Jesus. But they're actually still living in the darkness because they actually don't want to live in the very living, real presence of God. They're still rejecting that, Lord. They're still living their own life, their own way. Oh Lord, forgive us. Give us a glimpse today of what it means to live in the life, to live in the light, to know this light of men that comes from the life of Jesus, which unites us with the very life of God. How could we ever turn from that opportunity, Lord? So we give you thanks for all that you offer us, all that you've given us through faith in Christ. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.